This podcast is offered by Wildflowers and Sangha. A Dharma Talk by Roshi Amy to SLA Hollowell. Good evening, everyone. Can everyone hear? Last week there was an issue. Freddie couldn't hear. You can hear this time, Freddie? Maybe not. Someone want to send Freddie a message and see if he's hearing? Um, anyway, um, I hope that everyone else can hear. Uh, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, I wanted to share, uh, Freddie is gone, so maybe he's having trouble again. Um, I wanted to uh, share with you a, an experience that I had this morning uh, in a writing workshop that has nothing to do with Zen, the workshop, um, or meditation. And I found it fascinating, and I kind of wanted to hear what you, if you would find it fascinating as well, as it relates to our practice. Um, I had the the subject of the workshop. Um, it's a series of three workshops, three sessions, which is um, in French, écrire la poésie du quotidien. So it's writing the poetry of the everyday or something like that. So of course, already it's very Zen, but they don't know that. Um, and, or they I don't present it like that. So today the, <clears throat> the subject was, um, we were using a, a form, which is it's called an anaphore, an anaphora, which is um, a word or a series of words that are repeated at the beginning of a phrase. And it's very common in poetry and in um, speeches, you know, Martin Luther King, I have a dream. That's a classic example. He repeats that at the beginning of the lines, I have a dream, I have a dream, I have a dream. Um, or Churchill when he says, you know, we will fight on the beaches, we will fight in the fields, we will fight in the cities, you know, that. Um, and um, other examples. Well, I used an example from Charles Dickens, the beginning of A Tale of Two Cities, which starts, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was, and it goes on like that. It was this, and it was that, and it was this, and that, and whatever. Um, and a poem from, two poems from Guillaume Apollinaire, which some of you who have done my workshops are familiar with. In French, it's Ilia. Every line begins with idia, which is, I forget in Portuguese, how did we translate it, João? Um, I think it was ah. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in English, it's not very poetic. It's um, there is, or um, there are, there is. In any case, um, so, but the subject was here and now. So they were, the instruction, the 
proposition to write was that they were to observe their room in which they were. And this was on Zoom, right? So we're all sitting there together in our different rooms. They were to observe the room and um, make first some notes. They had 20 minutes and I gave them four different blocks of five minutes to note things. First, just all the objects, just the physical things in the room, the colors, the furniture, the pictures on the wall, whatever was in the room. Next, they had to um, talk about the note, the, the smells, the sounds, and the tactile, the feelings. You know, if something was rough or smooth or what it felt like physically. And next was the interior of the interior. So inside themselves, what thoughts came to mind, memories, um, uh, whatever came to mind about the, the room, emotions linked with a picture or something. And then the last one was just a list of words, um, verbs and adjectives that they associated with the room. And then I presented the Polonaires to two poems, which start with Ilya. Every phrase starts with there is or ha. And um, they were supposed to just using the notes that they had made and whatever they were observing. The subject was here in this room. So right here now in this room. And they did it. And it was really beautiful. You know, there were all kinds of different things and everyone did it. Everyone followed it, but did it differently. And um, it was as if we really entered into everyone's space in a very intimate way, because we can only see a certain bit, you know, of what is in the room, what's behind them. Um, and one woman, I thought of Anna, because one woman, which we didn't know, she was in her studio. And in her studio was a um, métier tissé, um, you know, a loom for weaving. None of us knew this, that she did weaving. And she was talking about the different fabrics that go in, you know, the different threads. And as she was reading it, it was as if she was, each line that she was doing was weaving the the poem was weaving the tapestry and it was really beautiful. So we did that, talked about it, exchanged, read their pieces and everything. And then the next one was they had to do the same thing, except instead of Ilya or there is using um, either a phrase, the phrase from Dickens, which it was, it was, or in French it was cité, or um, a line from another text I shared with them, um, I remember, Je me souviens, which is from Perec and George Perec and um, Joe Brainerd. And the subject was the same room, the same place, the same day, but looking back on it five years from now. So they were being asked to look back on 
what was currently present, um, but referring to it in the past tense. And what was fascinating about it was that the first texts were, and this is why I'm interested in terms of our practice, the first texts were very light, um, very um, rich in details and in um, really presence of this moment here and now, um, luminous, um, occasional reference to, yes, I have the window open, the window is open, um, I would prefer to go outside, but I can't, um, but other than that, you know, it was really very light and gay and colorful. The second text, all of the texts, so there were six people, were very somber, dark, sad, all about heavy, all about the lockdown, the pandemic, um, the, the weighty situation with the American elections, the situation in France. Uh, um, it was really stunning. It wasn't just like one person had that. All of the texts were like that. And everyone remarked on it. Then after when we talked about it and exchanged. And it was the end of the workshop. We didn't have time to go into why it was like that. And I wasn't going to go into my Zen stuff with them. So we just stayed with that. Um, and I think universally, all of them, when I we have at end of the workshop, we do a little evaluation. They all preferred the first exercise. They all preferred writing in the present tense with just what's here now. Instead of looking back, first I was asking them to project into the future and then look back to the past, which is a tricky operation. Um, but for me, it was very instructive in how we, what we do, you know, I could recognize in that, that when I'm very much just in the present moment, everything's okay. When I'm not projecting into the future, when I'm not looking back to the past, it's okay. And it's usually light, even if there is sadness, even if there is worry, even if there is sickness, whatever I'm experiencing, but if I'm just totally present with whatever it is, if I give myself to it entirely, it's very different than if I'm clinging to something, you know, if I, if I start clinging to when I was six, seven months ago and how terrible it was and what a struggle it was and, uh, you know, all the stuff I can imagine, I can bring up about it. Um, it's much different than when I was really just in the middle of it or, um, you know, any experience we've had, we have that is, um, if we cling to how we were feeling, we're stuck somehow. If we project in how we want to feel, then we're like stirring up all kinds of projections and fears and fantasies. But when we just stay with what's here and now, it's a completely different experience. 
And that was very concretely evident in this writing exercise, which it was not my intention at all, um, at least consciously. Um, and, but I think nothing is really by accident, but that's how it happened. Um, and so I'm curious, um, you know, can you think of any examples in your own lives where this is, where this happens, where you experience something really powerful or something? It can be, you know, we had a really fantastic experience and we hang on to it. I know that myself. You know, I have this great awakening moment, you know, this glimpse of some beautiful thing. And then I carry it around with me. And then it gets stale and old. And it's not at all what it was when I experienced it. Um, or we can wish that we would have some great experience and project into the future. And we will never have that great experience. It can never be that. But when we just stay with what is, it's fabulous, usually, you know, if we can really be present with it. And our whole practice is about that. Sitting here now with what is. So in effect, I kind of made them do a meditation, a guided meditation in writing, like meditating on their room, their, the space where they were. So, any comments or questions or observations? Lisa? Yeah. Um, it's funny because what what I what this strong I guess what the strongest feeling that I experience i i think is uh, or that comes immediately to mind is is not one of happiness it's one of sadness um and extreme emotion um which is my my father's death soon 30 years ago <laughs> and um and when i but it's i don't know if it goes in what in the same it's what a very good example, but uh, when I look at it now, it's um, or when I it's it's not at all. It loses its sharpness. It loses its strength. It loses its hurt. Um, and so the the emotion then is not the emotion now. And it also works in that. I mean why not uh, sort of an opposite example of what you're talking about because it's uh, yeah it's not a, an example in happiness but one of sadness but that's also what happens yeah it wasn't necessarily just like when i gave my example of being sick same thing yeah and that that's so that speaks to me so much, what you say. My own father's death is soon, the anniversary of his death is soon because our fathers died like a day apart, I think. I know, yeah. But with 10 years difference, and my father was 20 years. So, and same thing for me. It's not at all what it was then. 
John? Yeah. Yes, what, what came to mind is a, is a very funny memory of to illustrate the the fact that when there's an event in the past and uh, even in the present i mean it was very relevant uh, we and it includes someone else that was present at that exact same event what we do remember from that event may be totally different from what the other is actually remembering also so that's also um what we hold on to might not be the same thing from one another and i <laughs> just i want to share that with you this very uh pathetic and uh very funny moment where um not too long ago maybe two years ago or something um i got contacted by someone that i was dating when i was in my 20s and uh and the breakup wasn't really really nice but what i do remember from that is that she had sent me a letter saying that i wasn't very nice and i wasn't i didn't say anything and i do remember that i went to see her and i made a i had made a song from that breaking up uh, or the fact that she was saying that it didn't have any courage or whatever and and so um but then when she contacted me, I couldn't even re remember if it was her or not. But I did remember this event. And the more we were actually talking, the more I realized that it, it can only be this woman to whom I had written a song. And I was very proud of that moment of sincerity. And then I did mention that in the conversation. And she's like, what song? <laughs> she didn't even remember that I had written a song. And I was so proud of that moment. It's like, it's sick. Like a, but I'm sure it's that woman, but she doesn't even recall that moment that for me was so important. And so uh, it was very, very funny and slightly humiliating, humiliating for me also. Nina, yeah. I definitely relate uh, to what you're saying. I've spent a lot of time in my life here thinking about, should I move back to the US? Where is my life heading? I feel kind of like I'm in this permanent, um, what's the word? Like in between place where I haven't made up my mind about some big things. And yet, and it, it makes me very unhappy and anxious to contemplate those things. And I even kind of feel like, you know, tears starting to come to my eyes. It's always just very full of emotion. But on a day to day basis, I maybe outside of confinement, let's say, um, <laughs> I really enjoy my life. And I don't actually, you know, there are a lot of big questions I ask myself, but when I'm not preoccupied by them, my everyday life is very enjoyable and rich and kind of unremarkable, but in a, in a nice way, I guess. Um, and so 
I don't necessarily conclude that I should stop asking myself these questions or I should stop thinking about, you know, these big things like, okay, my age, therefore, what about this? What about that? Uh, my career, therefore, what about this? What about that? My family, you know, I don't think that I can dispense with them altogether or they're, that they're irrelevant or unproductive things to think about. But I do really notice a huge difference between the times when I'm just living and then the times when I'm kind of like, yeah, but where is this all going? So I think it's, it's exactly what you were talking about. And then I want to share one other funny thing that Joa's story kind of made me think of, which is that oftentimes when I have very difficult conversations like confrontations or breakups or things like that, I usually only remember what I said. And even though I spent so much time thinking about that conversation, trying to imagine what the person is going to say, how I could respond, okay, if this, then that, it's like I'm so caught up in the emotion of finally saying my piece that I almost don't hear what they say. And afterwards, when I try and relate it to friends or something, they say, so what did they say? I don't really know. <laughs> and you can't, you can't get the script back. You just remember, you just take away the feeling, I guess. And, and maybe that's the most important thing is um, there is no official script, even if you recorded it, you know, someone would go over one line and hear one thing and the other person would hear a different thing. So you never are going to agree on the official version. So it's kind of at the end of the day, it's what it meant to you. And so I would say that moment of pride, Joa, you know, it's yours. You get to keep it, even if the other person doesn't remember it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Good examples all. Joao. Good evening. Um, I, I was listening to you. Um, and what, what came up was um, because you, you were talking about um, basically feeling uh, happier in, in the present when when we when we stay with the present um, what came up for me was that sometimes it does feel uh, I seem to be with the present but it doesn't feel all that happy uh, and Actually, um, I think what happens is uh, if I really, if I look deeper, uh, I either realize that I'm not exactly um, very present with what's, um, with what a certain situation uh, um, produces in me, either that um, well, it's basically that it, 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 I seem to be in the present and very aware of what's um, of what's uh, happening, um, what's present at that moment, but maybe maybe not that much. Uh, uh, and I was wondering 
if that maybe we, I can use that as a like a, a sign to uh, well I, I seem to be in with the present but I'm not all that happy there's something bothering me and so maybe maybe I can use that as a as a, a sign to to look a bit uh, closer and carefully uh, am I really uh, uh, I, I may be um, we for instance, when we when we talked this week, um, I was I was very I was a bit far away or very away, very far away from what my feeling what my feelings were. Let's say I was not so much with myself. I was projecting or thinking about somebody else. Um, and I was not so in in a way I was not with the present. So. Maybe that's why I was uncomfortable. Let's say so there was something bothering me. That's what I. That's what I meant because I was thinking about that particular situation. Um, so I. I seem to be very aware. That I'm not. I'm not all that happy. So. I didn't, I'm, you know, I'm sorry if I gave the impression that I meant when we're present, we're all we're automatically happy. Um, Simplified, yes. It's not, it's not what I meant. Um, because it, what, what, what I did mean, or what I, my experience is, is that, um, and what I experienced in those texts today was there was a lightness to it. That even if it was something not, you know, someone who, you know, they, one woman, older woman, you know, was talking about all these beautiful objects she had brought back from her trips, you know, masks from Peru and, you know, something from Mali and, you know, all of this stuff. And at one point she said, there are all these things that someday I will not take with me. Um, and that was, you know, it was very poignant, but there was not a heaviness to it. You know, it was just what is. Um, and I guess that's what, I mean, it, and, you know, maybe that, that is a good indication for you that when it feels like something is not right, you know, or something, um, you could look at it and say, well, what, what is it that I'm hanging on to, or what is it that? I'm not looking, I'm not being present with, or what is it that I'm projecting? Um, because that's it's either something you're hanging on to or something you're projecting. Those are the two options. Of course, it's more it's complicated to know what those are and um, can be very intricate as well. Um, lots of things intertwined, you know. Yeah, I guess lightness describes it better than. It's it's a it's a sensation of nothing added, nothing taken away. It's just what it is. Mm. 
And of course it's fleeting because as soon as we say, oh, that's what it is, then it's not that anymore. Um, but, you know, like you've all told of experiences of either feeling it or not feeling it. And so you, you do recognize there is something that resonates there, you know. Um, And as you know, as I said, I had a very concrete example of it in workshop this morning. Joel? Yeah, what Juan is is told it just just makes me think that um, I want to. Yeah, I want to. I want to follow that. That that what he's what he's saying because there's a there is probably a sense that we have through the practice, like the idea at some point that with the practice will come happiness. It's like okay, because we always hear you know suffering comes from from craving and the, so we need to seize the craving and if we see the craving well therefore we'll seize the suffering well then if i practice then obviously there should be some kind of uh, letting the letting go should come with the opposite of suffering but uh, so i was yeah you were saying that Juan. i was like yeah how how does that work actually um and it's uh and i think we we might get that wrong idea actually that it's that the there's something different with the extinction the nibbana the 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 the, the, the letting go and what comes with this and and the and the suffering it's just it's just not the same um I don't know. Um, uh, how can I say that? The... Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know for the moment. It's just that it's it's it doesn't it doesn't doesn't really end the the doesn't it doesn't stop whatever we whatever happens in life, which is sickness, death, and everything that we go through. Um, but if we go through a certain way, if we really go through, really experience, and really let go, and really see the, the arising and the seizing, we experience that, then something else happens, maybe. But it, it and it has a different quality, and uh, and and uh, 
yeah, I don't know, Roshi, if you want to continue that thread. Maybe I'm not very clear, but. Um. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we talked about this the other day, Joa and I, um, something like this, but. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's, it really is this notion of being immersed in, you know, of being, of not looking for the light at the end of the tunnel or something like that. I know myself at one point some years ago, I had, I went into a deep melancholy, you know, a depression kind of thing. Uh, I don't know if clinically it would have been depression, but it was, I was really deep into it. And um, it was so powerful uh, in part because um, I was in psychoanalysis at the time. And so I, I and I trusted the analyst completely. And so I, I guess I allowed myself to just really go into it. And I was not looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. It was like Joe was saying, you have to really go through it. I, I mean, I guess I would say going into it and not looking for some way out. And that it was such a, you know, this is what it's tricky about it. There was something so powerful about that. I loved it. I became, I wanted to hang on to this deep, deep experience of melancholy. Um, but I had to let go of that too. Um, I had to go through it. You know, I had to go into it fully. And then I had to let go of it, which is what Joe was saying, and emerge. But I couldn't do that if I had been looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. If I hadn't fully gone into it, I would not have been able to let go and emerge. So it's not necessarily has to be a good, happy experience. You know, it can be, we become attached to all kinds of things. You know, we get stuck in all kinds of places. Um, and the key is, you know, when Joas is going through it or going into it, um, it's no holding back. Um, it's not looking for something else or not hanging on to something you had before. Um, not looking to go forward to the light at the end of the tunnel or not looking to get out from where you were before. Um, because if there's a shred of light, then there's no darkness. Of course, we say within this darkness there is light, but that light is the darkness itself. So you have to, when it's, when you're cold, you're just be really cold. When you're hot, just be really hot. When you're hungry, just be hungry. Um, when you're sad, just be sad. That's what this going through and going into is. In the Zen jargon, we would say something like that. And like, so this morning in this workshop with these people, I put them artificially into that. I was not intending that, I repeat, but that's what happened. I artificially put them into this, just being here with what is right here. Nothing beyond, you know, just whatever's coming into your mind at this moment, whatever you're feeling at this moment, whatever you're seeing at this moment, um, whatever you're hearing this moment, just that. And then when I ask them to look back, 
project and then look back, then it was something completely different. In five years, they probably won't feel about this this day and that place the way they wrote that they will feel. You know, someone joked after and said, oh yeah, in five years, we'll look back on the COVID and we'll say, oh, that's nothing. You know, it's much worse now. Or, or we, COVID, what were we so worried about? There was a vaccination six months later and now everything's fine. Or, you know, um, whatever. Or, oh, Zoom, that's so 2020. You know, there'll be something else in five years. Debbie? I'm having a very interesting experience because most every important word, <clears throat> excuse me, that you said during your talk was mangled by the internet. So I was getting only parts of you. And thank, thank you all for sort of bringing me up to date. I, I had a notion of what was going on, but it was a little bit strange out by this. But I was just listening to what, what you all have been saying in the last few minutes. I think there's nothing that makes this more obvious than what you and Lisa were talking about. The thoughts, the feelings, the notions that we have about our parents from the time we start to grow up until they disappear or the, <clears throat> the different moments of our relation to them, relationship to them are so, they're strong and they're so, they can be so different. They can be so contradictory even as, as things go along. And then once they're not here anymore, so to look back, as you were saying, looking back on the, the virus, but looking back on the relationship that we had with them or on them. In any case, in my life, it has been a major way of seeing how change happens. All those very violent, important emotions that become violent and important in another direction. It's always interesting. Um, a couple of your words got garbled there at the end, but I think we got the gist of it. Um, and it's true. It's it's just it's amazing um, how things change. And when I say we'll look back on this and we'll think it was not not a big deal, I don't think that's true. And everyone in the group this morning agreed too that it would not, we would not look back and think, oh, what were we so worried about? Um, but it certainly won't be what we projected this morning. We will look back on it as probably. So yeah, that's very interesting, Debbie. And even having all the words mangled and then having to kind of piece things together and try to figure out what's been said. You know, we have, we then imagine all kinds of stuff, you know, it's kind of like remembering a conversation. Okay, everyone is agreeing that we don't remember the conversation like, like everybody else did, like we heard it. Well, the major factor was not to not get mad, because when I was mad, I, I was, I couldn't even begin to piece things together. So the strong emotion of anger, in my case, in any case, Whenever that sets up, 
then I know I'm not in the present. I'm I'm uh, arranging my my tanks and my weapons. Yeah. Good point too. When we move away from things as they are, then we immediately create separations and differences and focus on the differences and then attack and grasp and cling and everything else. That's true. Roshi, mm -hmm. because of what you just said, uh, I watched this morning, there was a, like a, a meeting online with the Biden and the nurses, and, and uh, I don't know if you, if you saw that. Um, and what he was able to do, I saw, I saw it, the nurse is, is speaking, she has been in the front line since February in the, in, in the hospital. Um, and at a certain point, Biden he, he apparently started uh, crying because you can see him uh, clean, like, clean his eyes. Um, and then it's, it's, it tells her about his experience of being in intensive care, I assume because of his son, who died when he was vice president, I think. Um, and it's so interesting because that experience uh, of suffering, uh, he was able, he, he was talking about how you, how you, he would notice uh, the healthcare workers in, in the hospital, nurses and doctors, uh, um, and how he was able to see, and he was talking about how he saw in the middle of that suffering, how he saw how he, he actually could see the others, the people who were helping. Uh, like he was saying, uh, you either get, if you, if, you, if you make through it, if you survive, if you, have, if you are sick and you survive, you go, you go, you leave the hospital and actually you never, you never come back. You never, you never get to see the people who saved you or who helped saving you. That, that was, I thought that was a very interesting point. The other option is, of course, you you leave the hospital and you don't go anywhere. You just you just you die. Um, but I, I thought it was I, I felt it was so interesting because that's that's what I felt he was saying. His experience it's is his complete and full experience of, of, of suffering and of pain made him absolutely human in the sense that he could actually see the people and of course he can he can he can relate to them in, in a totally different way I, I found that so so moving so this is it this, this is what's being this is what being human is about truly this, this is it, this, it's this. Yeah. yeah, it's similar to what we were saying last week. Yeah. 
and he embodies that. Um, and we can all have those experiences. Yeah, and that's what our practice is about, is being fully present here and now so that we can be a full human being and be and see other see others as full human beings. Uh, even if we don't like what they're doing or um, we or they leave us, or they, you know, um, they don't see us. Um, we can see into, because we can see into ourselves. we can be present with ourselves. we can then therefore be present with them, with the others. That's what it is to be in the heart of life. You know, we used to do our heart of life retreats. Well, this is it. This is showtime. This is where it happens. I kind of miss those heart of life retreats, actually, but we're doing other stuff, so. Speaking of which, I don't know if you received the MailChimp, uh, our email today, but um, if you didn't, look in your spam or junk mail because we sent an email today about the autumn retreat, and which is um, not, starts not this, not tomorrow, but the following Friday. And you're invited to register and participate when you can, you know, uh, even if you just come on Saturday for the Dharma talk or Monday morning before you go to work, whatever. Um, please join us. It's a heart of life. It's a heart of life retreat, even if we don't call it that. Okay, we do the, we chant the vows.